0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? You doing good? Yeah. I, I have something on my heart that I really want to share. I have a, a message ready in it and I, I am really want to share that. But I also, just this morning, uh, something really started right, uh, bubbling in me. So I, I want to share from there and we'll see if if it ties in and if it does then cool and if not then that'll be for next week I guess but um we were we were talking in the back room we were praying and and talking about this idea of of hunger and um it's about what it is to be hungry for God and and it, it just reminded me of something and we talked about this before but but I want, to, I want to talk about two different places where, where the Lord has this desire to do something in our lives, but yet He instructs us to do something. And, and we, you know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit for, for a long time. We've diverted a little bit here and there to different messages, but we've been on that theme for a while. And, um, and something that, that you hear a lot of times is... Um, you know, that, that when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and it says, for, for the Spirit gives the gifts as He wills. That sometimes becomes this thing where we determine that, well, if God wants me to have it, I will have it. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts to men as He wills, as He sees fit. And so we, we settle into kind of, if we're not careful, not, not anybody here, but the people listening to the podcast could be tempted to settle into this complacency where we kind of go well if that's what god wants then then he'll give it to me and, and there's nothing on my end and so we kind of adopt this stance and, and and not just with gifts of the spirit but with so many things in life we could get to this place where it's almost this this complacency sets in in the in and we're like well if god wants it then it'll happen and there's not really anything i can do about it and so we are open to things we are you know okay with things and But yet, we're not actually going after them, pursuing them. Yet, in the same place that he tells us that God gives us, that the Spirit of God gives the gifts as he wills in 1 Corinthians 12, he starts 1 Corinthians chapter 14 saying, Therefore, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. And so, while it is true the Holy Spirit gives as he wills, what if his will? is tied into our desire? What if there's something that that has to do with what what we do that determines His response to us? And so, in other words, you can't make Him give something, but you also can't ignore what He's asked you to do and expect Him to do what He promised that He asked you to do something about. If you have your Bibles, open up to um, 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to go with this. And, and there's actually two places in the Bible where, where God talks about this, and I love it because it's it's so tangible. And you know, the Bible says that uh, that all Scripture was given for our edification and for education, for profit, for learning. It's all good for preaching and for teaching. And so, if we have this in the Old Testament, it's for us to learn from. And and I love this story. Um, it, it's talking about a, a widow in Second Kings chapter four. it Says. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditors come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So so this woman has a a problem that she has a husband who was a follower of, of Elisha the prophet, one of the prophets that... They followed him and, and she comes to him and says, your servant, the prophet is dead. And, and I, there's, I have a problem now because he was the one who provided for our family and now that he's gone, I owe money and it, his debt has now become mine and I have no way to pay for it. And the people who I owe are going to come and they're going to take us and put us into slavery until everything, until we've repaid the debt. We'll work as slaves until that debt is paid. You writes, every single one of us had a debt that couldn't be paid that you would work as a slave to try to redeem and you would never come to the end of. And so, so she comes to Elisha and she tells him, he says, what shall I do for you? And then it's almost as if God must have spoke to him and said, use what she has. Which is pretty common with God. How will they know that you've sent me, God? Moses, what's in your hand? A staff. Throw it on the ground. David, you're going to go kill the, the, the giant and you're not going to use the king's army and armor and the king's sword. You're going to use what you've already got in your hand. A sling, some stones. And So he says, what shall I do for you? And I wonder if that's recorded as him saying it to her, but God hears him. And God answers. And he says, what do you have in your house? And she says, well, I just have this little jar of oil. And so, because Elisha knows the nature of God and because he he believes that God is always the God who provides, that's one of His names, he says, okay, here, here's what's going to happen. And, and I believe, obviously, this was the Lord that told him to say this. It wasn't as if Elisha just had this this plan that he hatched of his own scheme. of I'm, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to now reproduce oil. I think it was obviously the Lord said to Elisha, this is how I'm going to provide for this woman. Tell her to go and, and get vessels. And, and, and not just a few. And to bring them into her home. So if God wants to provide for her, why doesn't He just keep refilling the little vessel? What if, what if God wanted to give, but He wanted to give to the measure that she made capacity to receive? What if He was seeing, how much do you expect from me? Because I've told you to go get vessels, and you're going to fill them and set them aside. And, and, and so the number of vessels you have stored in your room is what demand or draw you're placing on heaven. It has to be that way because otherwise, he'd just say, okay, well, here's how it's going to work. You can sell the oil, and God will keep refilling it supernaturally for you. And just keep, you can put a sign out in front of your house that says oil for sale. And when people come, you could just pour out into their vessels. And as you pour out into their vessels to sell, God will just refill the vessel you have. Could God have done that? Obviously. But he didn't. He asked something of her. He said, you go collect vessels. Not just a few. What's He doing? He even tells her, don't just get a few. What's He saying? Listen, you don't understand. God is about to pour out so much. Don't just get a few. And so she she goes and gets these vessels. And we'll, we'll keep reading here. Um, he says, he says, go in, shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. In other words, God doesn't just want to give you just barely enough. He's letting her know that as you fill these, they're going to be full. Just set them aside and keep filling up vessels. Don't, don't just stop when one gets full. The, like, in other words, the, the miracle doesn't stop when the first vessel gets full. Your life in Him didn't stop the minute you got born again and received the Holy Spirit. You didn't have everything that you would ever receive from Him in that moment. Don't just get one vessel. I don't want to just fill what you have. I want you to prepare room. And I don't want you to just prepare enough room one time. I want you to keep preparing room because I'm going to keep pouring out. This is what He's saying to her. Isn't it funny that it was oil? Not water or wine. Why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, was always represented by oil. When they would anoint a king and the Spirit of God would come upon him, what would they do? Samuel comes to Jesse's house. Selects David, and what does he pour? He takes a horn of oil and he pours it all over him and anoints him. When they anointed Aaron, oil flowed down his head off of his beard and dripped down and ran over. What is it? it's, it's always a sign of anointing. And so it's so, it's so awesome to me that, that in this passage, we see him talking about natural oil, but we can take this and we can compare this to what God wants to do in our lives so easily because it's a revelation of His narr- nature and His character. These are not stories, you guys, so we can say, wow, God was awesome. They're not so that we just have these cute stories. To tell. It's because it's a revelation of who He is and what He's like. It's to expand the way we think about Him. It's to change the way we see Him. It's so that we can understand what He's like so that when we are going forward, we can place an expectation on God to be the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so he says to her, he says, I want you to take them, and I want you to set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. So they go out and they collect these vessels. How many vessels did he tell her to get? He didn't tell her how many vessels to get. She decided how many vessels. Her and her sons decided how many vessels they would bring into their home. See, if he would have said, "Go get ten vessels," then there would have been a that would have been the extent of what God wanted to do. And then you could say, "Well, God had a plan to only pour this out." The thing about this is, and we can take this from Scripture in our own lives, and we can prove it by what it says. In the New Testament it says, "For he who gives the Spirit gives the Spirit without measure." In other words, there wasn't just ten jars worth of oil, twelve jars worth of oil. There was as much oil as she prepared room to receive. You guys listen, you don't just you don't have a full capacity of God or, or the same measure of God as a person. You have as much of him as you've made room and prepared to receive. And if you're crying out, God, I want more of You, but you're not making room for more of Him in your life, you may be asking for something He's wanting to give, but while He is extravagant, He's not wasteful. So she and her sons go and grab these vessels. And they they begin to fill them. And it says... So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. When did the oil stop flowing? When the room that she had prepared to contain what God was pouring out was full, who determined how many vessels she had? He didn't tell her a timeline. He didn't tell her at 12 o'clock God's going to begin pouring out oil, get as many vessels as you can before 12. He never gave her a timeline. He never put a restriction on how many vessels she could get. The only thing He told her was, don't just get a few. The only thing God would say to us is, don't just make a little room in my life. I don't want to just be a little part of your life. I want to be your life. I want to fill you. I want you filled to the capacity to where you can then overflow. And sometimes I feel like if we're not careful, we'll settle into this place and say, Well, if God wants me to, listen, God wanted to give that widow every bit of oil that she prepared room for. He didn't begrudgingly give it to her. It wasn't like he said, Oh my goodness, she went and got 14 big vessels. There's no lack in heaven. That's right. There's no shortage. She's not skimping. But what came first? The oil or her preparation to receive what God wanted to give? What if she would have just sat down casually and looked at her sons and said, well, you know, son, God's in control. If He wants me to have 15 vessels, there will be 15 vessels. If He wants us to have one, there will be one. It's not up to me. I can't make that oil reproduce. Only God can do that. And so really, do we really need to go get a bunch of vessels? Or... Is God bigger than that? Maybe He can just give us whatever He wants. And if He wants us to have more, He'll just reproduce the vessels and we'll have exactly what He wants. There is so much foolishness in that line of thinking when we take it and apply it to this story with this woman of her saying, I know God told me to do this, but I'm saying that you know, if He really wants me to have 15 vessels, He's capable of reproducing. Let's just go get one. Well, God likes to multiply, so let's get two. So at least there's something there for Him to multiply. And if He wants us to have 15, we'll have 15. If He wants us to have 17, we'll have 17. Who who are we to presume that we can do anything that will make God respond and do something? You see how foolish that sounds when you take it and apply it to this story? Yet, we're told to separate ourselves unto Him. We're told to consecrate our lives unto Him. That's right. We're called to flee from worthless things. We're called to be a people that is holy and set apart unto Him. How foolish would it be if this, this amazing king was wanting to pour himself out and fill And we were sitting back and placing the responsibility for our filling on Him when He so clearly asked us to make room for Him to pour Himself out. What if we've taken God being sovereign to mean that God is a puppet master to our own peril? What if it actually takes a surrendered, yielded will to the Father to walk in the will of the Father for our lives? What if Jesus was so human that before He went to the cross, He actually got on His knees and looked and said, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. If there's only one will in this whole existence of the planet and it's His, what is Jesus surrendering to the will of the Father? And if Jesus had to surrender His will to the will of the Father to walk in what the Father had for him, and listen, Jesus knew what the Father had for him, He knew He was supposed to go to the cross and die. He said that to his disciples. He said, now is the time for me to be be crucified. Now is the time for me to be killed. They're going to come and they're going to kill me. He said, and if I be lifted up, I'll draw all to myself. He said this to signify the manner in which he would be killed. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, they're going to raise me up on a cross to kill me. They're going to crucify me. He knows this. So it's not, you know, it's not as if he didn't know what the will of the Father was for his life, but he still, even though he knew the will of the Father, had to come to a place where he surrendered his will to the will of the Father. You can know the will of the Father for your life and never surrender to it. I promise you if Jesus had to, we do. Because He's our example in all things. Think about that, you guys. Think about like the, the absolute just just folly of of living life thinking that it's enough to just know what the will of god is you can look through the scripture and you can find paul said i pray that you would know the will of god why is he praying that because he really wanted us to know the will of god not just so the bible was one sentence longer you think about it like how foolish would it be for us to think that knowing the will of god for our lives is enough That'd be like the women saying, "Well, I know he said to I know he said to get jars, but I mean, come on, he's God. If he wants us to have 15 vessels of oil, surely he can make that happen." I promise you, it says, "She said to her son, "Go get another vessel." He said to her, "There are no more vessels. There is not one vessel more, and the oil stopped." Who determined how much oil she received from the Father? She did. Whose idea was it? The Father's. Whose provision was it? The Father's. Whose responsibility was it to multiply and reproduce oil, something that is absolutely impossible for a human being to do? The Father's. Is that to say that it's not to say like everything relies on us for us to say everything depends on us would be to remove him from the equation, but to say that nothing depends on us would be to remove us from the equation. And without her getting vessels to fill, there was nothing for God to pour Himself out into. Come on, I know it's early, but you guys, are you awake? (laughs) I'm, listen, let this challenge us. It's one thing to stand here and say, God, I just want more of You. It's another thing to say, God, what can I do in my life to make room for more of You? Yeah. Come on, wh- what can I do, God? What is it that I'm holding on to that's taking up space that could be filled with You, God? God. That's not out of like a legalistic, that's not out of like, oh, you can't have hobbies, you can't have fun. No, fine. But here's what I'm saying. If there's something that's keeping you from more of Him, you have to hold one in one hand and one in the other and see which one is more worth it. See which one you actually desire to have. Because you can't fool yourself and say that there's things that I give myself to, especially, listen to me, hear hear me say this. If it was something that He died on the cross for you to be free from, I promise you it's taking room in your life that He wants to fill with Himself, but He will not fill until you let go of that thing. I can promise you that. Just think about Jesus hanging on a cross, giving His life for you to be free from that thing. Why? So that you can be free indeed. Indeed. Why? Because when you're not holding on to that, when that's not in your life, it makes more space for Him. You can be free in this life from these things because He gave His life for it. If you can't be free until you die, then death is your Savior, not Jesus. He said it was for freedom's sake that you were set free. It was for freedom's sake that you were set free. Not you were set free so that you could instantly be yoked with that bondage again. That's a lie from hell. Amen. Well, you know, it's just every person, you know, every man's or every woman's battle, or fill in the blank with whatever you've been told. Listen to me. It's not your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And in this life, you will face trouble. Actually, that word is pressure philipsis in the greek in this life you will face pressure what pressure is trying to conform you to this world it's trying to press you and mold you it wants to make you look like him there is a kingdom of this world and there is a ruler of the kingdom of this world and his name is satan and he wants to press you and mold you through pressure to shape you and form you and make you look like him because there's two forces in the world that are trying to reproduce themselves inside of you and make you look like them One is the Father in Heaven and the other is Satan, the father of lies. And both of them are after our lives and both of them want you to look more like them. And every decision that you make makes you more like one or more like the other. And there is no in between. I promise you. I promise you. And here's the thing. You get to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Jeepers. We should move that thing after. Because I can't help myself. I've got to roam around. <laughs> They're like, oh, the camera, we have to keep it way out. We're trying to get everything set up so that we can do a live stream so that people that don't live right here can see us. And I'm like, listen, I promise you, that's not going to happen. It's not. I can't help it. Listen, it, I get excited when I'm talking to people about things like hunting and football. If I was to be so animated and excited about those things, then stand up here and just talk like this to you guys. Something's wrong come on something's wrong this thing this gospel you give your life to it it will grip your heart it'll grip your life i promise you you'll live so much more like jesus on accident than you ever did on purpose when you fall in love with him why because there's things that you'll do as a lover that you would never do sustainably for a long time as a worker i promise you there's things I do for my wife that I've done for a long time. I won't mention them because then all the wives are like, hmm, that they're husbands. <laughs> but your husbands do things that I don't. You just have to hear about the things I do <laughs> that you don't. So I won't even say that I massage my wife's feet every single night. I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to stir up envy and hatred. But I promise you, if you told me 50 bucks an hour to massage your feet every single day, 100, it doesn't matter how much money you offered me, eventually I would get tired of doing it and I would say, I don't want to do it tonight, I don't feel like it. Why? Because you'll do for love what you would never do as a slave. You'll do for love what you would never do for a wage. Sustainably for a long time because I'm not rubbing feet to please somebody. I'm rubbing feet out of the overflow of the love I have for her. I'm not serving Him to please Him. Yes, I want my life to please Him, but the goal of my life is not to get up and try to figure out, okay, um, if I do this, God will be mad. If I do that, God will be happy, so I'm going to do the thing that makes Him happy. No, I wake up and I want to serve Him. I want to please Him because I love Him. Because I love Him. And that's why we have to make this decision about love. Listen, you guys, and that's why we can't rely on just a feeling to 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 guide us the rest of our lives. There's some young married couples in here. Listen to me. That feeling that you have, it's awesome and it's valid and it will never ever go away. But there may be a day, there may be a morning where his breath stinks. And when he wakes up in the morning, he rolls over and he elbows you and it hits you in that sensitive part of your cheek and you're just like, oh, and your eyes start to water up, you know? And then he doesn't even say he's sorry. He starts to like reach over and grope around on you. You're like, what are you doing? Right? The feeling may leave for a moment, but there's a decision in love that keeps you even when the feeling isn't there. And it says, no matter what I feel, I've made this decision. I've made this commitment. I have a covenant relationship that is greater than my feelings. And that guides me until the feeling returns. It's the same thing with our walk with God. There may be days where you wake up and the last thing that you feel like is seeking Him that morning. I promise you when I became a pastor, I didn't get some like special pill that I took and made me get up every morning and all I want to do is seek him. There's other things that want my attention. There's other things that I want to give myself to at times. There's other things that I feel like doing, but I've made a relationship and a covenant with him and I've made a commitment to him and I understand that, my, that what I want, if it's anything less than him, is not as important and not as valuable as what he is and who he is to me so it's not legalism right like people are like well then you're just doing it no it's not works what it is is saying when i'm thinking straight i'm going to make a decision that will guide me when i'm not yeah. Yeah. it's the same thing in your relationship and marriage we I, I have a rule i won't be alone with another woman not because i'm afraid i'm going to jump on another woman she's going to jump on me i don't want to be here at the church and have someone drive by and see two cars out there and one's mine and one's some ladies because I don't want to give the devil any room to make any accusation. I don't want any spouse that's having a hard time to drive by and wonder what their spouse might be doing there. I don't want my wife to drive by and wonder what might be going, and I don't want to give the enemy any room. So I make a decision so that in the moment when someone's having an emotional time and all I want to do as their pastor is just be there for them, I've made a decision that keeps me when I'm thinking straight so that when the emotion of the moment, not a want or anything weird, the desire to love them as a pastor and be there for them and talk to them and encourage when that rises up in me, I've already made a decision that keeps me from doing that when I was thinking straight so that when the emotion of the moment comes, it guides me through until I'm thinking straight again. It's the same thing with anything else in your life. There is nothing wrong with saying, I live my life by principles, and I've decided when I'm thinking straight what I'm going to do and how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to live so that in the moment when I'm not, my principles keep me where my emotions won't. There's nothing wrong with living a disciplined principle. Now listen, if that's only, the only thing you're living by, something is terribly wrong. If there's never that, that, that experience of waking, if, if I never want to spend time with Him, if I wake up every morning and it's like, oh God, I want to do anything but spend time with You, but I made a decision that I'm going to give You the first part of my day, so here it is. No, come on, guys. Like that's if that's there, then there's something wrong. Why? Because if your husband only doesn't do the things he said he wouldn't do or only does the things he said he would do because he made a promise to you and not because he actually desires to do them forever, something is wrong. It's okay if in a moment my principles keep me there. But there's got to be something inside of me as I'm falling more and more in love with Him that keeps me there. So that it's not like, well, the rest of my life I'm going to white-knuckle it and hold on and live by principles because my feelings don't matter. Listen, feelings are an amazing thing. All I'm saying is, is you can't live by them every single day of your life or you'll end up so led astray. But if you never have any of those feelings, you never become overwhelmed with joy as you think about the greatness of your salvation if you never sit on your bed at times and feel the presence and the nearness and the closeness of god if you've never woke up in the morning and all you want to do is just get alone with him. If you've never had times during the day where it's like you can't breathe because you just feel like you're suffocating to get alone with him. You ever had that feeling where it's like, I just got to be alone with you. I've been with people all day long and I've been, it's been good things, God. And I've been praying and I've been reading the word and, 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 and in the morning. And I went out and I had my day and I met with people and I did things and I, and I've, and I did what I felt like you called me to do. But God, I need to be alone with you. You start feeling like you can't breathe because you just need to be alone with Him. You go somewhere, you're surrounded by people, and after a while, it's like, oh, God, I got to go to the bathroom or something because I just need to be alone with you for a minute. If you don't have that, this is not to put down what you don't have, it's to encourage you and invite you into what the gospel offers. Because he wants to have a relationship with you. The Holy Spirit wants that relationship. If he's a friend, think about this. It says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the comforter. He comes alongside. He's the paracletos. He's the one who comes alongside of us. And it's awesome to have friends that you have their kind of relationship with that, you know, you can be in the same room and not say anything, and it's comfortable. But it'd be weird if you were always in the same room and never said a single thing. How many of us have a best friend, a comforter, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, the one that Jesus said was better to have than Him physically there with us, and yet we could spend a week and be alone with Him a bunch of times and never say anything. That's weird. It's strange that we're not actually wanting to talk to Him. Because I promise He wants to talk to us. Well, what if we never gave Him our attention? Well, if God wants to talk to me. Oh, really? You you sure about that? Because I seem to remember a story where there was a young boy who God wanted to speak to named Samuel. And all he would do is say his name. And Samuel thought it was a man that was saying his name. And so he would run and give his attention to the man. Funny that God didn't speak the things He desired to tell Samuel until Samuel turned to him, gave him his attention and said, Speak, Lord, for Your servant's listening. I wonder how many of us are giving our attention to all these other things because we don't understand the Father wants to speak to us. And then we hear people talk about the Holy Spirit speaking to them and we think, well, that never happens to me. I promise it's not because God's picking and choosing His favorites. Maybe it's because He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And maybe He doesn't cast His pearl before swines because He instructed us not to. And anything He's called us not to do, He's not going to do Himself. Come on. Don't take your pearl and cast it before a swine. What does that mean? It means don't give something of great value to someone that has no ability to value it and to use it to what it was supposed to be used for. The only thing a pig can do is eat or trample a pearl. That's not what pearls are made for. What's he saying? Only give what's of value to people who actually can value what it is that you want to give. That's what that whole thing's talking about. If He calls us to live that way, how much more does He live that way? Think about it. Samuel... Master, did you, did you call for me? I didn't call for you. Goes back into the bedroom. He's alone. He obviously heard. Why doesn't God just start speaking? Samuel. Did, did you call for me? I didn't call for you. Are, are you sure? I didn't call for you. Samuel. Okay. Listen. Quit playing with me. Someone's calling my name. It's the Lord. The next time you hear it, say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. What if he just stays in bed and says, I'm not going to do that. He's God. If he wants to speak to me, he'll speak whether I respond or not. Come on, you guys, we got to break this complacent thing in our lives that sounds so good. That says, well, you know, I'm just nothing, I'm just this, and I'm just that. No, you are, my, well, you know, my righteousness is just as filthy rags. No, your righteousness was as filthy rags. That's why you had to be born again. Because once you became born again, He became sin that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means what? It means that you were completely incapable of standing before a holy God, but now because of the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and have mercy in our time of need. Why? Because I'm not coming on my righteousness anymore because I'm born again and I'm in Christ and I've become the righteousness of God. He didn't act sinful, sinful so you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. There's a big difference. It's now who you are. Well, you, yeah, I, I promise if you spent a day with me, you wouldn't call me righteous. He spent every day with you and still called you that because your righteousness isn't based on your actions Think about the double standard that we've put up for ourselves. It's a trick of the enemy to keep you from entering into the throne of grace to your Heavenly Father. And it says this. It says you can't come to Him because of the things that you've done. Well, guess what? Here's the problem with that. Before you were born again, there wasn't enough good things that you could do that made you righteous and capable of standing in His sight. How in the world, now that you've become born again, can you mess up, miss it, have it hurt so badly and think that that keeps you from something? We can't have it both ways. You can't have this double standard that says, I couldn't do anything good enough to be worthy to stand in His presence, but now that I'm born again, anything I do wrong keeps me from being worthy of standing in His presence. It's a trap of the enemy. Why? He wants to keep you from communion with the Father. Why? Because He knows that communion with the Father is the thing that actually changes your life and keeps you from going back to that pattern of behavior. And so instead of running from Him, we run to Him. Adam and Eve didn't have a covering that was made by God's hands. It was made by the hands of themselves. So when they heard God coming, they ran and they hid. Now we have a covering that's been made by the hands of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, that we've actually put on. We've put on Christ. Your Bible tells you that. It says you've put on Christ. What does that mean? It means when I hear the Father's voice, I don't have to run from Him no matter what I was doing two seconds ago or the fact that the fruit juice is still on my chin. I can actually come to Him boldly. Why? Because coming into His presence is the key thing that keeps you from going back to the tree and eating again. Being with the Father is what changes me. Being fathered by Him and loved by Him and communion with Him is a trap of the enemy to try to keep you from coming into His presence The shame and guilt and condemnation all those things that aren't from God. That's why he bore our guilt and our shame. Why? So that we wouldn't have to. So you just tell me you can just sin and, and it doesn't matter. No, that's why you feel the conviction of God because you've been so changed that when you do something that used to come so naturally, now when you do it, now that you're born again, it actually hurts so bad. And you know what? You can take that and turn that into thanking Him, because in the moment that you feel that hurt come into your heart, the minute you feel that that regret and that. Oh, God, I, something that used to be so easy for you to do, now it hurts so badly. You just come before Him, God, I thank you that you've changed my heart, Father. I thank you that one things that used to come so easily to me, now if I even think about doing them, it hurts so badly. That means that you're changing me. That means I'm not who I was. It means you didn't leave me in my sin, but you rescued me. It means you took the heart of stone out of me. You gave me a heart of flesh, and you wrote your law upon my heart, and now my heart's to know you. And so when my heart d- desires to know anything but you, God, it hurts so badly. Thank you. You, Father, that you're changing me. Where's the place for condemnation and guilt in that? That's not saying it's okay to sin. That's saying, God, I thank you that it's not okay. I thank you that there was a time where I used to live ignorant of your principles, God. I used to live ignorant of your presence, and I used to do things so naturally, God. I used to be able to look at the situation and say whatever made sense in the moment and whatever is the most convenient thing for me. A lie could roll off my tongue just as easily as the truth, but you've so changed me now. And if I even try to lie, God, my voice tightens up and I can't even speak because you're changing me. And suddenly now you are out of condemnation and you're lining yourself up with truth and you're speaking the truth of who you are and your ears hear the truth. And it doesn't matter whose voice is speaking it, truth is the only thing that's guaranteed to bring you freedom. You can preach to yourself anytime that you want to. You can get alone with Him. And it coming out of your mouth and into your ears is just as good as it coming out of mine or anybody else's because it's the Word of God and the truth that changes you, not the vessel. There's nothing special about me except for the position God's called me to. You can speak these things to yourself and be changed every single day, transformed by truth, every day. You can get alone with him and start thanking Him for who you are. God, I thank you could start your day this way, every single day. you could get up in the morning, you could say, "God, I thank you that I'm alive for you today." God, I thank you that I'm not alive for me, that I've denied myself and I'm following you. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit will lead me today and guide me today into all truth because you promised that and you're not a man that you should lie. What are you doing? You're reminding yourself of truth. What are you doing? You're setting your heart and your mind on him. You're actually starting your day from the place that before you used to hope to end it at. Now you're starting your day there so that you actually start from the place of truth rather than trying to find it in the midst of the world. I promise you, because there's nothing but lies in the world. Why? Because He's the Father of lies. When He speaks lies, He speaks His own tongue. And when He took Jesus above the temple and He showed Him the kings of of this world, He said, all this belongs to Me and I'll give it to you. What's He saying? The world system is Mine. That means what? When you get up in the morning and you walk outside, you walk into His kingdom, but you bring the kingdom of God with you. Rather than trying to find it in the middle of your day, you find it in the morning in that place alone with Him and then you let that be the thing that guides you rather than trying to find something in the moment. Rather than trying to figure out how I should respond, I've already set my face like Flint. That's what the Word tells us. I'm not trying to figure out what my response is going to be. I already know. If you slander me, I'm going to love you. If you mistreat me, I'm going to understand it's because there's brokenness inside of you and it has nothing to do with me and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to love you and I'm going to encourage the Father to show you what it is that you're lacking that you would ever find yourself in a place where you could do something like that. Do I do it perfect every time? No, but that's the goal. And He's the standard. He said, follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That must mean it's pretty, it, it's able, we're able to walk as much um, um, as... Ugh. Enough like him in this world that if someone was to follow me, they would end up where God wanted them. And that's for every one of us to say, not just for St. Paul, because he never called himself St. Paul. He never said build stained glass windows. He never said name churches after me. He said follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I promise you, if he could say that, he would tell you the same thing. Go find the Father in the morning and live your life from that place to a place where you could say to people today, if you imitate me, you'll be imitating the Father because I'm going to yield my life to Him and I'm going to walk as He walks because those who claim the name of Christ must in this world walk as He walked. That's in your Bible. It's in my Bible. You Guys, it's not hard. I was talking to someone recently. I'm going to just close up with this. I was talking to someone recently about the idea that that this gospel really is simple, and 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 they were talking about how you know that they've made these bad decisions and they've done all these things, and I said, listen, none of that matters, because this gospel is so simple. You can wake up in the morning and you can actually know that you're a son, that you're a daughter of God. And then you can live your life from that place of knowing who your Father is and actually being fathered by Him. You can surrender your life to Him in every moment of your day. Every single moment, every single decision, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. And God is faithful. Two different verses, right? But God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can stand, but with every temptation will provide a means of escape that you may withstand. What's he saying? Every time there's a choice that would take you from my heart, I'm going to make a way that you can come running into my heart. All you have to do is actually seek me. But how aware are we of the fact that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us and guide us? Because we can't just live our lives oblivious to Him and expect that every day we'll end up where He wants us to be. It doesn't work like that. That would be like the widow saying, well, if He wants us to have oil, why does it matter if we get vessels? Because He asked you to. If He wants me to be like Jesus, then what does it matter what I do in the morning? I'll just be like Jesus. No, because Jesus said, follow me. Come on. This Gospel is simple. What does it look like to follow Jesus? looks like I wake up in the morning and I'm alive for God and I'm alive for others. I'm not alive for me. Selfishness ruins everything. Why? Because I'm trying to find something that I'm supposed to find in Him at your expense. I can't lie to you if I'm not living for myself because you deserve the truth. And I'm not worried about protecting me. Every time someone's lying, they're trying to protect themselves or trying to protect somebody else. I can't steal from you, not if I love you, because I don't want your stuff. I don't want to live at your expense. I trust him. He's my source. He's my provider. Why would I take something from you that doesn't belong to me when I have a father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills who said he would supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory? Come on. What if we just trusted him in every way that he could be trusted every single day? What if the Christian life is just to wake up in the morning and discover something new about our Father that day and then reflect that to the world so that someone who comes into contact with you could see something about Him they didn't know? Ah, I can't help it. Father, I thank You for today. God, I thank You that that there will be no complacency in our lives, God. God. We would not be like widows who sit and wait for the oil to start flowing before we prepare vessels, God. But we would be like those who say, if God has something to pour out, I want to make room to contain it. That if you say you give the Spirit without measure, God, then I understand that the only measure that's given is mine. I decide how much of the Spirit fills my life by the room that I prepare, by the time that I spend, by the way that I live my life. It's me that makes that decision, God. Because Your will is to pour Yourself out over and over and over and over again to transform us ever more from glory to glory into the image of your son Jesus and I thank you God that today I look more like Jesus than I did yesterday and that tomorrow I'm going to look more like him than I did today because today I'm going to discover something about you that changes me ever, even more into the image of your son father that your spirit really does lead me and guide me into all truth not just some truth not just a few truths that He really is willing to lead me and guide me into all truth. The question isn't whether He's willing to lead and guide. The question is, am I willing to yield and submit and obey? That's the only question there's ever been. God, would you guys just stand to your feet real quick where you are? Just stand to your feet where you are right now. And I just want to pray this. And and like I said, not in a legalistic way. Listen, there are things that God has placed into my life that I do that are amazing things and I feel like they're gifts from Him. He's given me talents that I didn't know I had and I enjoy doing them. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm asking you to just ask the Father, God, is there something in my life that if I was to let go of, I could make room for more of you? God, is it, whether it's a relationship, a habit, whether it's, it's, a, it's a choice that I'm making with my time, whether it's something that I'm doing, God, is there something in my life, would you show me something in my life, God, that if I was to open my hand and release, you could come and fill my hand with something you have for me. Father, would you just show us that right now? Holy Spirit, you will lead us and guide us in all truth. Would you come right now and lead us and guide us into the truth of where you're calling us to grab another vessel because you've got more oil to pour. Father, I pray that the flow would never stop, that we would continually be preparing room for You. I thank You for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.